Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Was Jesus omniscient? That is the question that we will answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, alongside my co-host, as always, Trevin Wax, and uh, talking about uh, Mark 13, 32 to 37, this idea of, of how much did Jesus know? Yes. Did Jesus, the Son of God, know everything there is to know while he was on earth? That That's our, our question. So today's episode focuses on something that Jesus said while he was predicting the future, uh, what many people believe he's talking about his second coming. Others believe he's focused on the fall of Jerusalem. That's going to happen in AD 70. But in either case, Jesus says the exact hour of these events that he's speaking about is something that not even he, as the Son, knows. And this raises a question related to omniscience, the attribute we say of God that that he knows all things, that he is all know, that he's all knowing. Yeah. Okay, well, let me, uh, let's go ahead and read the text, and then we'll, we'll kind of go through some of the views here. Uh, so we're doing Mark 13, 32 to 37 in the CSB, and um, just a little context for this passage. Uh, you know, Jesus had just talked for a little while about how uh, God's judgment was coming upon the world, maybe any time. Um, and he's either referring to this coming destruction of Jerusalem or about the second coming, uh, or maybe in some sense, maybe both of these things, the, the destruction of the temple and then him coming back. Um, and then he says this, starting in verse 32. Now concerning the day or hour, no one knows, neither angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert." Okay, that first verse that Brandon read, uh, now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, that is the one we are focused on. Um, Now, he might be referring to the fall of Jerusalem here. He could be referring to the second coming and the final judgment. That's that's not the, the important point in what we're going to be talking about now. Jesus's point is that no one knows the time, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father. So here you've got Jesus saying that not even he, as the Son of God, knows when exactly this future event is going to take place. Right, and if we're if we believe in the Trinity and we believe that the Son of God is the co-equal, eternal Son of God with all the attributes of God, which that, includes being omniscient, right, that all really, really puts yeah. some kinks in 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 the armor there. So, uh, so the first view is an ancient one. It's a well well pathed uh, view. Uh, it's the view that says that Jesus wasn't actually ignorant of the final judgment day, but that he's referring to the fact that he won't share this information with his followers. Uh, so for example, Augustine thought Jesus was saying basically, uh, Hey guys, look, not even from me, are you going to discover when the final day is? So Jesus isn't claiming ignorance, but he's speaking an analogy. It's like, he's saying, you know, don't count on me to tell you, no one knows If the father wants to reveal it to you. He will, but you're not going to hear it from angels or even from me. Yes, so Jesus speaking in an analogy there, the first view. Okay, the second view is also ancient. Ancient. It is the view that says that Jesus participates in our humanity, meaning he takes on some of the human limitations uh, that come with being uh, fully God and fully man. Uh, and 
human limitations. One of those would be that you don't know everything about the future. Uh, Athanasius took this view. Gregory of Nazianzus believed this, uh, that w- this was a clear affirmation of the humanity of Jesus. It's We're not talking about a defect here. Uh, this is not an error. It's that he took on the limitations of humanity. Jesus, and, and at the same time, we do understand Jesus had remarkable knowledge. He yeah. knew the thoughts of friends and enemies. He could read people's hearts. John 2, he knew what was in each person. So he has extraordinary knowledge, but there are limits. And when Jesus asks questions throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, it's not because he's teasing, okay? Like he really didn't know. Like when the when the lady with the the woman with the issue of blood comes up behind him and, and Jesus asks the disciples and says, "Who touched me?" The the disciples don't respond and say, "Listen, you are the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Why are you asking us? Why don't you tell us who touched you?" You know, they they say, "Look at the crowd around us. Like how are we supposed to know?" Because they they saw Jesus Jesus not playing a game here. He really didn't know. Um, now, when he grew up, he grew in knowledge, as Luke says. He grew in wisdom. He was born as a baby. He learned to read and write the way that the rest of us do. So this is the view that says uh, Jesus participates in our humanity, and through that, he takes on the human limitation of including, at this point in his incarnation, uh, some limits on his knowledge. Yeah. Okay, so a uh, third view uh, is that the words, nor the Son, are inauthentic. So some on the more liberal side of the spectrum uh, believe that Jesus actually never said this uh, because he would have been he would have been referring himself to himself as the Son of God, which they don't believe that he actually did. Uh, so they would say, you know, this was something added in later by his followers to make him look more godly. Like he's talking, godlike, he's or, using Son of God language right. about himself. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and some on the more conservative side of the spectrum believe Jesus never said this because Jesus wouldn't do anything to imply that he didn't know something. Right. So there's no way Jesus would say that. So clearly, I mean, this is like the ultra conservative trying to protect, you know, almost trying it's to like fascinating protect the, yeah. that the ultra conservative and the liberal here both sides. are both saying this view Yeah, are, are both saying, hey, the nor the sun part isn't in the original. Right. Um, fascinating. And so they would say that's why there are very few manuscript discrepancies surrounding this verse, because there was something about, you know, they were trying to, to make this point. Uh, in the in the manuscripts, uh, so the issue is resolved by saying that the early church added this statement, nor the son, to the text, uh, maybe as a way of giving some wiggle room here because Jesus didn't return within the first generation after his death and resurrection. Uh, but in whatever case, they would say this is not authentic, which is an interesting way to look at it when you think how many times does Jesus say, uh, "You're going to see me coming on the clouds. I'm coming soon. Be alert, be alert." And they're saying, "Well, that's because you know that he didn't come back yet. So there's something else going on there. So it's an interesting interesting way to view it." Okay, so three views here. Uh, Jesus was speaking with an analogy, that Jesus was truly ignorant of something as part of his humanity, or that this fa- that this phrase is not authentic. So, Brandon, what's your take? Okay, so uh, I am not equivocating or mushing together views on this one. So I, uh, I take oh, the second. What a view. relief! <laughs> Some people are saying, "Oh, come on!" No, I'm just kidding. So second view is the right one here uh, for sure. And so uh, this actually deals with a Latin phrase that that's been used throughout uh, history called uh, communicatio idiomatum which is this idea um, that because of the hypostatic union, because Jesus is both 100% fully God, 100% fully man, that there are certain experiences or attributes uh, that are only proper to one of those two natures, right? So we don't want to say he was half and half. 
He was fully God and That's fully right. man. Therefore, he didn't lose attributes of either type of nature, whether his divinity or his humanity. Uh, now, obviously, this has been affirmed uh, early in Christian history, both of the First Council of Ephesus and the Council of Chalcedon, which are two extremely important councils and creeds uh, concerning Jesus's divinity. So, in this case, uh, I would say you know, God, the eternal Son, is omniscient because he is fully God. Uh, he possesses all the divine attributes, right? But in his true humanity, he really didn't know when he was going to return. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11 gives us a, a picture of this where Jesus, where Paul says, you know, Jesus didn't see equality with God as something to be exploited, right? So this doesn't mean that Jesus became less God in the incarnation, uh, but in the mystery of the hypostatic union, one of the greatest mysteries that we'll never understand how two natures can exist in one person fully, uh, that he did really take on full humanity and some of its limitations. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we don't know. This is one of the limitations that he took on as, as fully human. What about yes. you? Um, not surprising. I don't think to any of our listeners that I'm I'm going to rule out that. Well, the first view, the analogy view from Augustine, gotta love Augustine, but on this one, I think that's really a stretch. Yeah. Uh, with the the third view that it's just not in the text, very convenient when conservatives and liberals alike just want to do away with a problem in a text by just saying it wasn't there in right. a manuscript. I I never. I don't. I don't like that. That that mindset of yeah. uh, well, we just get away. We get rid of this problem by erasing it. I don't. I don't love the slippery slope argument that people use in debates a lot. But that's one of them where when you start taking stuff out to make your point, there's yeah. no telling where you're going to oh, go. Oh yeah, that. for sure. So I'm. I'm definitely with the second view here as well. Um, I, I, again, like I said, I think Augustine's interpretation it just it just fails the sniff test with actual exegesis here. Uh, he Ooh, says Augustine the angels is not don't an know. Actual exegete. And no, I, I he <laughs> is. Not, I I love Augustine, but just I I think this should be taken at face value. Um, the third view, like I said, I just think is, is somewhat ridiculous. But uh, you know, it, it's fascinating to me. Just can I just make a side note on the on what what the liberal the the idea when you think of the exalted view of Jesus in the early church. Why would someone have invented this saying, right? It's like the liberals want it, want to say that the church, early church, exaggerated things and made Jesus more exalted than he was, and then they also want to jump in and say, well, the early church invented a saying like this, which seems to really emphasize his humanity. Yeah. And I'm just like, you, you can't have it both ways, yeah. right? So it's like you cast the early church in the worst possible light, no matter what, and you question their motives. But so in the end, like you said, uh, coming back to to what this is about, this is the mystery of the incarnation here, and it is beautiful. Jesus had extraordinary knowledge, uh, and he is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, had access to supernatural knowledge, but as part of his taking on humanity, he took upon himself certain limitations shared by all people, and one of those had to do with knowledge. So Jesus was not—this is glorious, though, to think about. Jesus was not a baby who just pretended to be ignorant before he spoke. Hmm. Uh, He was an actual baby at one point. He actually grew in wisdom— and knowledge. He learned things. Uh, to me, this is one of the most captivating and inspiring aspects of his incarnation and his humility. It, it would be like knowing all of the languages of the world, but when you go into a culture, willingly giving up your knowledge of all those languages and speaking only the language of the people you're trying to reach. I mean, just extraordinary humility here that God the Son would do this for us and, and for our salvation. Yeah, that's good. So, Okay, so let's shift gears. Go to um, how we would preach or text, uh, preach or teach this passage. Uh, you go first. Well, you know, 
as for most cases, that it seems like I say this a lot, uh, focus on the overall point of the passage, not the controversial part of one it, verse. It probably can't be said enough, though, honestly. Yeah, I, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, the focus here is on, in the whole, the reason we read the whole passage right there and not just that one verse is because the focus is on waiting with expectation. Yeah. We are supposed to be ready for Christ's return and for the judgment day. And whether or not you believe that Mark 13 is primarily about the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, or whether you believe it's about the return of Christ at the end of time, the application for us, though, is very similar. Be ready for God to act. So my emphasis in preaching is going to be on that point of application. And I'm also going to use a statement to temper the enthusiasm of anyone in my congregation who's looking for exact dates and times of Christ's return. Because this verse, I love this verse because it basically gives me the idea, I, it gives me the, the the comeback to be able to say, listen, if you think you know the exact date Christ is returning, you're saying you knew more than Jesus. Are yeah. you good with that? Like that does, that does it give you a little bit of pause, right? So I, I love the fact that this verse gives me a little cover there yeah. to temper the enthusiasm from some who may be uh, a, a little more excited than they need to be with their charts. Yeah, and sometimes you you say that and it doesn't do any good, but at least you can say it, right? <laughs> at least I can say it. Yeah. Uh, so I I really wouldn't add much to what you said, Trevor. And I think that was right on. You know, I think you know while we're not sure why Jesus didn't have this particular knowledge, right? He could read minds. Um, he could tell what people were thinking, and and he could even predict future things at, at some other points uh, in Scripture. So it's really interesting that he does those type of things. But then he says. Oh, I don't know when I'm coming back. And I think if I if I'm to speculate a little bit here, I think like you said, he's he's letting us know this is a tangential point of my ministry. The point is not to try to figure out what day I'm coming back, right? Don't get too far into your chart making, into your predictions of the signs of Daniel and the signs of Revelation and whether locusts are Black Hawk helicopters and all those kind of things. Don't get caught up in all of that. Um, I although think those you're things, paraphrasing yeah, quite a bit here. I'm trying. Yes. Uh, but don't get caught up in all of that because, you know, those are, those are interesting things we can talk about. But Jesus doesn't even want you to do that. He wants uh, you to realize that the main point of this, of this verse is that you need to be faithful to what God has in front of you until he returns. Right? He says this over and over again, so many different times. He tells them here, be like the one who is watching somebody's house and you don't know when they're going to come back. So don't fall asleep thinking, oh, they'll be back in five minutes. I'll just go ahead and take a take a rest here. What could happen in five minutes? But that you're actually alert all the way until the moment they drive up the driveway uh, because you're actually being alert. You're actually being faithful to what you're called to do and you're not taking shortcuts or slacking off because you think it's going to happen soon. So, Very good. But Jesus is coming to make things new at some point and until then... We need to be faithful. That's right. Okay. Trevin, thanks as always for hopping on. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.